For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harlow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and we're bigger and better Every day, NFL playoffs uh, reaching a crescendo. College football national championship over. Now we focus on the NBA and NHL All-Star games. Golf starting, NASCAR, Daytona 500. We're all in here and across the pond in time for deal-making issues. Three to one. Three. Big 12 engaged in plans to split into two seven-team divisions beginning in 2023 amid realignment. They are dealing with a 14-team league. Sources tell CBS Sports Big 12 athletic directors, including BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, met last month in Vegas to begin deciding how the league will look two seasons ahead of Texas and Oklahoma departing for the SEC. Big 12 operating under the assumption both the Longhorns and Sooners will stay in the league four more years. The current Big 12 television contract with Fox and ESPN ends in 2025, and NCAA rules state that any league with more than 12 teams must split into divisions for football, according to Big 12 Senior Associate Commissioner Ed Stewart. And assuming BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF join ahead of the 23-24 athletic year, the league would be at 14 teams for two seasons. Conference operated as a 10-team league without divisions since 2017, and the two ranked teams play in the Big 12 championship game. We'll see how that shakes out. Deal-making issue number Three, two, 2022 revenue outlooks, U.S. betting takes off, obviously big. More than $1.3 billion from $1 billion raised on Wednesday and expect a core profit in 2023 as a sports betting joint venture between MGM Resorts and Britain's Entain expands. Ben MGM said it was gaining market share in line with its long-term budget target of 20 to 25% in U.S. sports betting and iGaming. Entain's boss said in November that BetMGM was one of the reasons why DraftKings' $22 million offer to buy the British firm fell through as MGM would have sought to take full control of the joint venture. Deal-making issue number two. One. Number one, arenas, arenas, and more arenas. We're not happy with the marinas in the U.S. or across the pond. How about in space? Space Entertainment Enterprises, the U.K.-based company, producing Tom Cruise's upcoming space movie, announced plans to launch a sports arena and entertainment studio in space by 2024. The module will be connected to the International Space Station, being constructed by Axiom Space, which won NASA's approval in 2020 to build the commercial component of the ISS. The Low Earth Orbit Project, called SEC-1, expected to be operational by December 2024. 
in addition to an arena to host sports events. It'll consist of a studio content to produce, record, live stream films, television, and music, according to a press release from Sports Entertainment Enterprise. The SEE was founded by film producers Eleni and Dmitry Lezhnevsky. The company's advisors include Mark Taffet, former SVB of Sports, at HBO. Deal-making issue number one. Well, arenas beget teams, beget part of the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Let's focus on an arena close to home, the Miami Arena and the founding of the Miami Heat. December of 1988, even earlier than that, the Heat lose to the Clippers, lose the first 17 games, actually, and finish 15 and 67 that year. I don't care. I was involved with Mayor Xavier Suarez and others in attempting to put together an expansion franchise in Miami when they only had one, the Dolphins, in 1966. The success of that effort begat not only the Heat, the Panthers, the Marlins, and others. Xavier Suarez, the first Cuban-born mayor of Miami, then the Dade County Commission, won elections 85 and 87 and 89, and he stopped in 93 and then re-elected in 97 in a different context, Dade County. He was one of the founding fathers of sports in South Florida, county commissioner in 2011. He won a significant amount of, of votes as mayor and a business leader as well as an entrepreneur and, frankly, a perspective that no one else has. Lucky enough to know Xavier Suarez. He reflects back on the 30-plus years of the heat, Miami Arena, but more importantly, relevant today, sports, economic recovery, and infrastructure. Leading into the U.S. Conference of Mayors meeting in D.C., he very significant issues as to what he has to say. Here is Xavier Suarez. First Cuban-born mayor of Miami, 85, 87, 89. You stopped in 93. You were reelected in 97. Then you went over to the county. Uh, Here's a guy who can do whatever he wants to in any context and decides at the end of the day that you couldn't stop giving back to the citizens of Miami and then Dade County. Public service has been in your blood, right? It has, and uh, recently, I guess, it's been passed on to the next generation. The the torch has been passed on to uh, the current uh, mayor of the city of Miami, who's my son, Francis uh, Suarez, and also very involved in sports, as you know, with the... uh, um, acquisition of a franchise that will be playing in Miami soon, but right now um, it's the Inter-Miami MLS franchise. So he's uh, he's following our footsteps, Rick. Yeah, well, he's following our footsteps with one, one material difference. In, in 2011, I was reading that you um, won uh, your seat by a 44% margin, yet the, the, the genes that you sired one in November of 2017 as mayor of Miami by 86% of the, who wins by 86% of the vote? I mean, that, that's unheard of. Congratulations to the just, family. And he was just reelected uh, a couple of months ago uh, by almost 80% of the vote, which I, I think is the first time in any major city in the United States that if someone wins re-election by almost 80% of the vote. So, well, yeah. obviously, the one we're thing, out to welcome after four years, you know. Well, but the one thing that I found after spending uh, time reconnecting with you is you are, you know, incredibly proud of your of your son, and he's going to do some wonderful things. He or, he has already. But uh, let, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the last uh, thirty three 
or so years of of sports in in South Florida were themed around mega events again. The uh, All Star Game in NHL is coming down to South Florida, though Broward in a year and a half, and we've had the Super Bowl, and hopefully we'll have it again. Uh, you're basically the driving elected force. There were a couple of others uh, behind the heat. And in December 7 of 1988, I don't know if you remember that day, but the Kings beat the hell out of us, and we lost our first 17 games and ended up with a record of 15 and 67. We didn't care, did we? I mean, we were playing. That was the bottom line. And nobody believed that we could do it, Rick. Um, nobody believed that Miami had enough uh, basketball fans. Uh, we had to sort of trot out the, the city manager um, who, whose son was a, a basketball coach, and he himself was from a family of basketball players. We had to trot out you know, all my relations with Villanova. And, and you um, did a fantastic job of selling to the private sector the idea you know, that they should buy season tickets. And I think there was a fellow that helped a lot with buying in advance of getting the franchise, you know, or, or, or right as, as we were getting it, I think 4,500 tickets that was put together by one of the local, I think, the, I, I want to say the Latin builders, or it could have been uh, a b- bunch of folks that did that. And, and there was a lot of skepticism, uh, you know, do Miamians care about basketball or are they into the more traditional Latin sports, which would be, you know, football, as we call it, or soccer. Or, or, or baseball. I mean, Cuban baseball players have been, uh, you know, Hall of Famers for, for a long time. So, um, you know, we convinced them that it would work. And, and sure enough, uh, we put together a horrendous, I mean, a, a humongous effort to get a, uh, a stadium or arena that was big enough, uh, but, but wouldn't be too costly. And that's where, that's where the magic came in. By the way, I was checking my numbers since we met, and I think you... You uh, you were a little bit off, but not too far. Uh, the, the city of Miami uh, put up forty-five million, and the private sector put up seven million for a fifty-two million-dollar arena, and and that that did the trick. Yeah, it did the trick. That back then, it's kind of ironic that Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, uh, Jeff Bezos's monument to the environment, is opening and just opened at a cost of a billion two for a basketball arena. <laughs> And UBS Arena in New York, similar to that, right by Belmont Park for the for the Islanders. Now that's not to mention SoFi, where the Super Bowl will be for the Chargers uh, and the Rams. That's a slim five billion, but that of course includes Hall of Fames and NFL West and uh, media and all that kind of stuff. But you know there are many dimensions to this, and I think you can comment uh, exclusively, well prepared on this one, relative to community pride. You know, you talk about numbers. But you and other mayors around the country who shape dreams for a living are able to comment on what sports franchises and what successfully acquiring something that requires this much work does to the yes, civic and fabric of the community. So talk about that for a minute. Yes, and, 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 and you had an important point because 1985, when I was elected, we not only weren't at the table for major league sports of any sort, but we were just hanging in there barely with, with the only, the only uh, professional sports team that we had, which was the dolphins. They had a great tradition, but they didn't like the orange bowl where they played. They, they thought it was too far away from, from their fans, whatever. Um, we also had a, a race car event in downtown Miami 
Um, and, and that was about it. And, uh, and we were about to lose both of those. Uh, the race cars went down to, to uh, Homestead and the, uh, and, and the Dolphins moved to North Dade, very close to the Broward line. So we had to go against that kind of skepticism. You know, one thing that, that now in retrospect, I didn't mention this to you when we had lunch because I hadn't even thought about it. But now when we're, attract, when we're in the business of attracting major companies to Miami in the fintech field, uh, you know, finance and, and technology, we realize that where the CEO wants to live is really important. And of course, in, in, in basketball, for example, the CEO includes, you know, the high level principals who are the players. And you know, all these guys, the Alonzo Mornings, the Ronnie yeah. Cycles, these guys wanted to come and live in Miami. Glenn Rice, yeah. you know, uh, some of yeah. our early stars. And, and, and by the way, I, I should add, they also wanted to, to uh, you know, get hitched to some Miami females and uh, that has worked out real well too for all <laughs> so there's the attraction there is a, it took me 33 years to realize uh, mayor suarez is uh, uh hidden magic in all of this by the way i was remembering and that makes a lot of sense i was looking at the starting lineups and uh, you don't remember i mean grant long and ronnie cycley and earl uh, or not earl but Dwayne washington and rory sparrow and and grant long that, that's a it's a you know it's a pretty and there was a guard i don't remember his name you probably do who was very slow, but he had a great shot, and we would set him up going around the horn, you know, back and forth until he could get a free shot, kind of like what they do now with uh, with Robinson. You know, was yeah. very athletic, but he could really shoot well. But, you know, that's it. nowadays you can't do that. You can't have any one player who's not very athletic. Uh, Hal, the, the name was John Sunvold. Remember John Sunvold? That's the That's guy. The guy. That's the yeah. Guy. <laughs> it's a down memory lane with the guy that basically created the franchise. So here's my, here's my question over these years. Uh, we talk about economic impact, and we talk about what it means, and it you know, puts Miami on the map as a <laughs> second franchise. We know it begat the Panthers and begat the, the, uh, the Marlins in essence. Uh, but but how, do you, how do you tell the public and quantify what a something that is as kind of amorphous and ephemeral as a as a pro franchise tangibly means to quality of life and therefore something a citizen should make a commitment to you know that's the toughest of all questions to answer because as you have said it's very intangible but you know when it comes in very handy whenever you have any kind of public disruption whenever you have uh, ethnic tensions, whenever you have anything that, that even resembles, you know, a, a civil rights or, or anything like that, that, you know, and, and um, we, we dealt with that in 1989. I was, I was looking at, uh, at Twitter and there was actually mention of, of how he handled a civil disturbance that we yep, had in 1989. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's where, you know, that ethnic pride, I mean, that, that civic pride that also brings all the groups together in Miami now, much to, I think, to the surprise of, of a lot of folks, the, the people who are most uh, proud and go out in the streets whenever the, the Heat wins a championship uh, or, or any other sport, um, uh, the Marlins, et cetera, but particularly the Heat, it's interesting, the Hispanic kids are out there, you know, and uh, yeah. they didn't think that, that that was the case. They forgot that we have Puerto Ricans who are very much into basketball, Argentinians, Cubans, Dominicans, um, and, and, and all these groups that in, in, in Central America, basketball's played 
a lot, and, and they have some great players coming out of those countries. So you and I knew that, but we had to convince the NBA of that, and it wasn't easy, Rick. No, it wasn't, e- wasn't easy. But now that we have the benefit of it and hundreds of thousands of people taking credit for doing it and being at the first game doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, we, we have the franchises. But, you know, leading to a and couple of other... very large... successful franchise now, of course. And by the way, and, and very successful franchise. And, of course, everybody's at the ribbon at the uh, at the trophy presentations. Nobody ever said they were against it. I know there were, for a fact, there were a few people, <laughs> but that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You know... The, the last time they won the, uh, they won the championship, there were 12 county commissioners yeah, five uh, city, one city manager, one mayor. <laughs> Jousting to be at the front of the line for the photo op, but we know we know we know who did the by real way, deal. I, I I was not there as a county commissioner, but uh, I was well represented by twelve others out of the thirteen. <laughs> yeah, of course you were. Well, yeah, of course you were. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but the other issue for you, uh, given your civic priorities of affordable housing and workforce development as well, uh, the number of 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 housing starts that you've done and the yes. the work nobody issue. nobody yeah nobody believed that that neighborhood where we put the arena in Overtown right smack in the middle of Overtown would really really thrive uh, as it has and and 30 years later um, approximately 30 years later it now has under construction and being rehabbed almost 5,000 units the entire county government is not able to do even a third of that and yet miami this little city of miami which is about a a fifth of the population is able to do that right around that arena and it is the anchor to development it has stayed it's been gentrified a little bit but it has stayed uh, largely african-american and uh, the benefits are being reaped by the people that are there uh so that was another thing that we predicted but it wasn't easy and there was a lot of uh, and and it you know, look, urban development, as you and I both know, and we and you know, especially, uh, that doesn't happen next Tuesday when you predict it a Sunday. It's a long, drawn-out process. And we're doing this uh, understanding the PEG is not just Super Bowls and all, but U.S. Conference of Mayors has its major Washington meeting these weeks. So let's spend a minute about uh, infrastructure. Uh, we know mutual friend Mitch Landrew has been appointed as uh, President Biden's kind of build infrastructure development guy. He also, as a Louisianan, helped put the Superdome back on track post-Katrina to save the Saints there. And he understood what infrastructure means, which is all things to all people at a variety of levels. So as we're all talking about infrastructure, what, what, what's, your, what's your sense about you know, entertainment facilities, sports facilities, but more importantly, you know, civic facilities as an important component of community infrastructure? And again, uh, we go back to the topic. I mean, where do people want to live? They want to live in a place where there's good educational system, where the the cost of living is not exceedingly high, and where where there are sports. We're very close to the top, you know, of of the priorities for companies to move. Um, the area of affordable housing. What you have to do is you have to figure out a way to plow back into the community all of those benefits that sports franchises bring. And a lot of times, governments don't do that, you know, the, uh, and, and it's not easy to do it. Some cities try to do it. I think Philadelphia tries to do it by taxing the income of, of the athletes. Right. We've never done that. You know, we've survived on, but the, but the value of real estate goes way up. 
um, and then you can reduce it. The city of Miami lately has been reducing the millage rate for residents because of the increase in the value of real estate. So, you know, there's all kinds of direct and indirect ways of, of improving your, your city. And, and the, the Miami Heat in particular, but all the, all the sports teams, they contribute substantially. They also have to meet minority requirements. That arena that you and I put together, more than any other two people probably, uh, in, in the United States and in Miami, that arena, uh, if I remember correctly, you probably remember the numbers, the, num- the, employee, the employment at the arena had to be at least 50% minorities and not including right. women in that. So 50% uh, black and Hispanic. And we met those goals. We imposed them. A lot of times you can't do it legally. You have to do it by, you know, by commitment and, and uh, voluntary, but, uh, but we did it and it made all the difference. There was never, there was one window broken at the arena when it was going up in the toughest neighborhood in the poorest neighborhood, the one with the highest incidence of, of single mothers heading a, a household and only one window. And I, uh, I remember that uh, one, one of the owners, uh, it wasn't Billy, it wasn't, I'm trying to remember the other guy. Lou, Lou Chappelle. Lou, or, Lou called yeah. me and said, Mayor, you got to do something. I said, Lou, if I have to sit there during the construction and put a tent there and sleep there, I guarantee you not one more act of vandalism. And you know what? <laughs> there was not one more act of vandalism. You understood, just like the, the ownership group uh, of, the, of that franchise, that this is effectively a public trust on behalf of a community uh, without comparing, and this is not what this is all about, of you know other teams in this region or elsewhere, there are, I would assume, um, you know, these days, uh, because of public-private partnerships have such built-in protections and we're fairly sophisticated about what it means, there are ways to protect the investment of the community. You know, they may get right of first refusal before a team can move out of town. There's uh, specific legal protections to make sure you can't, uh, leave without paying off the rest of a of a lease. There, there are a lot of things that we uh, uh, have become more sophisticated legally, but it really comes down to uh, a, a poli- political group and an ownership group deciding that what's best for the community and working together to do it, don't you think? Yes, community benefits agreements uh, since our days are now much more uh, sophisticated, much more extensive, and much more legally binding uh, because of all the different legal tools that we apply. And um, in connection with that, let me mention, we recently put together a a joint partnership between city uh, that included city, county, the CRA, the Community Redevelopment um, Agency, which basically fed off of that arena that that we built so many years ago and is now producing. I think that their bondable capacity is now in the $100 million range. Most of it used for for housing, but a, a big chunk of it was used to put together a, a train station in downtown Miami, a $69 million train station. And you know, one of the components of that was that the people from Overtown can use Tri-Rail and go all the way to, uh, to Palm Beach for free in perpetuity. Now, that, that's a real community benefits agreement. And by the way, I, I want to mention that my son, Francis Suarez, as a city commissioner, he wasn't even mayor at the time, was the one, the architect of that deal. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you build a facility and you build in a component to, to help the neighborhood. And uh, 
The CRA contributed to that, by the way, the Overtown CRA that would never have been funded had we not built that arena and had all that development not happened around the arena. And they contributed, I think, $20 million to the uh, uh, Miami Transit Station. That uh, Now there's some other problems with it, but I'm, I'm glad I'm not mayor and having to deal with those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, city's in pretty good hands. It, it, we, we know somebody who could deal with it, even if the current mayor, if the, 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 the former mayor is not able, able to. It's passed <laughs> on to a good, to a good uh, 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 air. Uh, final, final set of questions real quick. Um, from your perspective, is it harder today or easier to generate consensus? You know, you've had 33 years of retrospective history. You have a son who's doing it really well. We've had some politicians that have made things a little more difficult, let's say. Is yeah. it turbulence? Um, can we overcome the turbulence? And it's not just talking about building facilities, but it's talking about um, trust in government, and it's talking about people getting along, and we're talking about agreeing to disagree without killing each other. Frankly, it depends a lot on the people in office. With Francis as mayor in the city of Miami and Daniela Levine Carla in the county, they do everything uh, in conjunction and collaboratively, and that helps. Didn't always happen that way, uh, even even as short ago as four years ago. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we we have an initiative on sports and and debate and uh, getting people to uh, trust each other and to listen to each other and to agree to disagree, and there are a lot of sports teams that are involved in that too, and hopefully your son will be a, uh, a major part of that effort as well. Uh, and, and I guess most important is, how does it feel to have a, a son who is uh, you know, smarter, better looking, has more votes, is, is more visionary? What, what's, it, what's it like to wake up in the morning and aspire to be like your son? Well, about 15, 20 years ago, he was all of those. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was maybe I could jump a little higher now I can't even do that <laughs> and I'm a little taller so I could, the two of us made a very good two on two team because he can really shoot and I can't. I remember some of those first games pretty tough but frankly we got it done an arena that then begat another arena and the Miami Heat has become a special franchise largely because of the early spade work and thanks to Xavier Suarez for giving so much to the cause. A new feature on the podcast every week, the Sports Gaming Minute. We'll focus on one or more big-time deals of the week, and there are many in the gambling industry. Wynn Resorts could be selling their online sports betting business for a discounted price. Certain parts of it are becoming complicated. They're unloading its online betting business as a steep discount as the fledgling niche faces painful losses from stiff taxes and costly promotions needed to lure customers, according to The Post. The bottom line is the Vegas-based casino giant quietly stepping in in the interactive unit, the operator of WinBet online gaming app, slashed the asking price to $500 million after floating a $3 billion valuation less than a year ago. The fire sale comes less than six months after Win was publicly readying a splashy spring launch for WinBet, signing up NBA legend Shaq O'Neal as a brand ambassador. He sold his minority stake in the Sacramento Kings so he could work closely with Win without breaking the league's gambling rules. Win has a New York online betting license, but hasn't yet launched its service. How about next, the Sports Tech Minute, which we always do on a regular basis, and it fits with gaming this week. Always on live wagering during the playoff game on NBC, PointsBet, 
they debuted the successfully tested live in-game betting option during the game between the Raiders and Bengals in that first week. The points bet users were able to bet live odds and make spread and money line wagers without any suspensions that prevented bets from being placed. The playoff game uh, had a very successful uh, operation and success technology. The gambling software partner that was acquired by PointsBet, Banach Technology, for $43 million in 2020. And the existing partnership with NBC allowed a level of exploration that hadn't happened before. The NBC playoff game experienced 100% uptime and no suspensions on in-game spread and money line bets. Say the point bet folks, look for more in the future. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, we conclude with our Good Sports 5, as we do every week. The first one is the Space Entertainment Studio we talked about earlier. That will generate a significant amount of money for new causes that will begin to merge pretty soon. How about NBC? They decided that for many of their events, they're not going to send live broadcasters to the Olympics. Uh, he no longer, according to Greg Hughes, the spokesman, NBC says that they're not going to send uh, announcers for alpine skiing, figure skating, snowboarding, and others in order to uh, stay within the Chinese requirements for COVID. But obviously, there's a lot more going on there as well. A petition to move this year's Super Bowl from traditional Sunday to Saturday reached 80K signatures with a high school senior in Palm Bay, Florida. Certainly, it's not going to work. But talking about the interesting perspective based on his analysis of lost productivity, what it proves is Super Bowl continues to be an incredible international holiday that everybody focuses on. Saints head coach Sean Payton could take a year off and possibly take his talents elsewhere to coach a new team, including the anywhere in the NFL. He may go to another media outlet. He might go to a philanthropic organization. We'll have to see. And then we finally talked about the Indiana bill that proposed transgender women from scholastic sports in response to the ban that's been placed in certain parts of the country, public hearing, planned, scientific studies unveiled. Again, we'll have to see how that all shakes out. And that's your Good Sports 5 for this week. Well, we'd like to thank you all for listening and watching, listening to Xavier Suarez, a seasoned Miami politician, by the way, whose mayor is an up-and-coming national politician, whose son is an up-and-coming national politician as the current mayor of Miami as well. Boy, Xavier is proud of Francis Suarez as he should be. We'd also like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping to put this show together, as well as others. We'd like to thank you all for listening and watching, and join us next week as we further get inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Rick Harrow. Speak with you next time. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.